rental rates are going to continue to climb. Problem is, is that it wasn't. It was sub seven. And I was going to have to do all the work to get it there because of one little calculation from someone who barely got into the business and doesn't even understand to run the numbers. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast, your high octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here with Heather Marchant. Hello, Everybody's hello. doing well. We're going to do kind of an interesting show today. This is going to take us back, Heather. I, I don't know. There may be, be some... Yeah, there may be some reminiscing going on here, but <laughs> we're going to talk about lessons that we learned in the 2000, 2007, 2008, um, right before the crash, and hopefully help you guys understand kind of where we are in the market cycle and, you know, the differences as well as, you know, some things that you should watch for, I think. It should be great. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Plus... I may tell a story or two about stupid people, which, which is always fun. <laughs> which are always our favorite. Uh, they're always fun. They're always fun. And it'll be one yes, of those yes. segments. Don't be, you know, whoever it is. I'm not even sure who right now I would tell the story about, but I'm sure that there's going to be a story. I'm positive. Yeah. There is. A lot of this has come up because we've been talking with rates going up. John Galane, we interviewed on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't listen to that, you guys, you should go back and listen to it talking about how when the Fed increases interest rates that the stock market normally drops after that and kind of knowing, seeing if you can get ahead of the problems as much as you can. No one has a crystal ball. No one knows what's going to happen. But if you take lessons that we've learned from previous market cycles, making sure you're prepared and what to make sure you can hedge against, I guess, with some of the risk of things that could, could change. So yeah. yeah, rising interest rates is not catastrophic. No, not at all. I mean, we, we just talked about on the last podcast that, you know, when we started selling rental properties, you know, interest rates were in the mid sixes, low sixes yeah. was like, I mean, we were thrilled when it was like six and a quarter. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And we've all been so spoiled over the last many years that we forgot what normal interest rates are, right? And what good interest rates are, because the ones that we have now are historically good. They're not just good. This is lunacy. Like you don't ever have interest rates. Like, and so we've all had this unbelievable opportunity still do. I mean, the interest rates are still lower than they were in 2018, right? So let's not lose our minds. The interest rates are, are pretty good and you can lock them for 30 years. They're still letting you lock loans for 30 years. You know, the banks are going to get killed on those because they, yep. the rates go up, they're stuck with them. Yep. For 30 years, they're locked in for 30 years, right? So that could so have my, my mortgage holder keeps reaching out to me about refinancing. Actually, you can take cash out. You can take, I get an email from yeah. Penny Mac like probably four times a week. It's you can take cash daily. out and pay us a point more. Yeah. Mm. Please, please, please do it. Do it now. I'm not sure I need the money that bad. Penny <laughs> Mac, thank you very much. Appreciate it. I know. It. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit about banks because there was, were some really interesting things that happened in 2007, like right before the crash. I mean, there was some pretty crazy stuff and I don't think people, unless it happened to them, probably yeah. don't even know that it happened. Right. Yeah. So back in the day, there were some stupid people who were 
using home equity lines of credit to buy negatively cash flowing real estate. Now, mm-hmm. the home equity line of credit part wasn't the stupid part. It was the negatively cash flowing real estate that was the stupid part. And they yeah. were buying these, um, speculating that the prices were going to continue to go up. So I would just remind you that in 2007, nearly everyone said that home prices were going to continue to go up. Now, keep in mind that Arizona, like Phoenix, had just for two years gone up between like 28 and 40%. And they said it was going to do it again. I remember, Heather, we had conversations in our office about this, that this is unsustainable. Who's going to buy these? If they go up another 40%, who can afford these houses? Seriously, yeah. and in all honesty, who can afford these houses? Yep. And the answer is nobody, right? So yeah. we had an affordability problem. And when everything started to kind of unravel, banks can do something. I mean, nobody ever really reads their loan documents. I'm guilty of the same thing. It's complicated. They're really long. Nobody wants to read them. Just give me the loan. Well, on a home equity line of credit, there a lot of them have clauses in there that, you know, if something happens that negatively impacts you, they can just pay it off with your accounts. Yep. And Which is mind blowing. That's like devilish, right? I mean, you shouldn't be able to do that to people, but that happened. The other thing that happened back in the day is that they just, if you had an open line of credit, they just shut it. Done. Over. So if you thought you could pull that money and these people were taking that money and they were paying the negative cash flow on 10, 15, 20 properties, you got to understand this is like 10 to $20,000 a month negative. And they were taking it from their equity from all of these properties and paying the negative because the properties continued to go up astronomically every year. Okay. So what's paralleled? Well, back then, People were bidding up the price of houses. Is that happening today? Yes. Absolutely. That's happening today. Right? So there are some parallels. Now, is the market anywhere even close to the same as it was back then? No, it's not. It's Very not. Different. But there are some things that are similar. And so some of the warning, some of the things that happened back then, y'all should just be aware of. Right? I'm, we're, not, we're not saying any of this to, to, to scare you, but you should be aware. Like If you have an open line of credit, and you're counting on that for certain things, well, you should probably start to count on it maybe a little bit less. Because if something happens, negatively impacts property values or negatively impacts the economy in general, the banks can just close those. They don't have to keep it open for you. So, Well, the whole thing that you, I don't want to like graze over it because I think people may miss the point that if you have a home equity line of credit open with Chase, and you bank at Chase and keep your checking and savings at Chase, Mm -hmm. then Chase can take your liquidity, your checking savings money and pay off your equity line. So depending on, so I don't think that happened to everybody, but it certainly happened to people, especially in California. It happened all over California. We had clients calling. It was insane. People were like, my lines of credit are gone. And I'm like, well, you know, we kind of told you not to buy all that negative cash flow stuff, but that wasn't helpful to them in the situation when they yeah. literally didn't have the line of credit and they couldn't afford those properties that they bought yes. without the lines of credit. Yes. I remember doing live presentations in Southern California and people like shouting out that real estate's like the worst investment ever because yep. they had not done it right. They had bought yep. 
with a couple who had seven California homes that were all over a million dollars, all negative. And they yep. thought it was the best investment ever that they were going to make a killing. And I was like, and they got killed. They got destroyed. Yep. So yep. just be careful because we've had this crazy up market for, I mean, a long time. It's over a decade mm -hmm. now. Yep. And when you've gone up that many years in a row, it makes literally anyone look like they know what they're doing. I mean, literally anybody can make money right now. You could buy a house today, sell it three months from now and make money. And, and that's what was happening back then too. Okay. So they would just cash out, refinance, take the money, and then they would pay the negatives. Okay. So that, that's stupid. Yeah. But just be aware because whatever, depending on what your loan says, like these commercial loans, for instance, Heather, if you have a commercial loan, like on an apartment complex annually, and pretty much anytime they want to, they can ask me for financials. And if the financials aren't doing well, they can renegotiate the loan. Be careful with the loans that you're taking because they're tricky. There's, there's a bunch of clauses in those things that can mess you up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So just be careful. That stuff happened back in, in 2008. So right now, none of that would happen because there's nothing wrong. Everything's going swimmingly. You just don't want to be one of the people caught naked when the tide goes out, right? Yep. So exactly. So wherever you got your line of credit, just make it somewhere else where you don't have a whole bunch of cash. Okay. And read your loan documents. I mean, I guess that's <laughs> yeah. you can do that too. <laughs> well, that's one takeaway that I had from 2008 because I started working with you, Ron, in 2007. So I was preparing pro formas and stuff like that in 2008. So I remember those interest rates because I remember typing them in all all of our Excel based pro formas. So mm -hmm. back in the day. One of my takeaways for sure was I couldn't qualify for a loan no matter how much money I had. So watching that you're not over leveraged so that you can still qualify if they change up requirements for getting a loan that you have your consumer debt, all that stuff. You shouldn't, in my mind, be as have that debt paid off if possible and have your real estate mortgages be the debt that you have so that you can have a better chance of qualifying. But I remember being so frustrated. It was really only cash purchases was the only option I had back then. Yeah. I mean, then, so if you didn't pick it up, she was talking about like beforehand, if you could fog a mirror, you get a hundred percent loan or maybe a hundred three percent loan to be like, it get cash. They'd pay you to buy a house back in 2007. It was absolutely insane. And they had these negative amortizing loans. They had some so crazy stuff back then. It was nuts. And literally it just shut off, just done. No more money. Couldn't get any more money. And now there's all these deals and there's no money. So just be, just understand, understand where we're at, I guess, in, in the cycle, right? Some of the other things that you need to understand about then that are similar to today is look at construction. Because back then, one of the things that, and one of the differences, I guess, is that in the cycle, you could clearly see that we were overbuilding. I mean, it was clear to anyone who would look that we were overbuilding, which is what normally happens, right? You, you build too many, and then you have an oversupply. And when you have an oversupply, the prices come down. That's how the cycles work. It's a supply and demand. And right now, that's not what's happening. Now, there's a little bit of a similarity in that back then, what was driving all of this construction was investors, 
There were so many investors in a lot of these different markets and it was pocketed, right? There were these pockets of places where there was high appreciation and that's where everyone was overbuilding. There weren't enough people to rent them. There weren't enough people to, to buy them and the prices were out of control. Now, similarly today, we have billions and billions and billions of dollars that are chasing real estate right now from Wall Street. And they're buying right now somewhere about between 15 and 20% of all the houses that are being sold right now. And that's a lot of houses, people. That's a lot of houses. It's a lot of money chasing a lot of houses. The difference is we're not overbuilt. We're actually underbuilt. And those houses, as soon as they're built, they're getting rented because there's not enough rental properties and there's not enough owner-occupied properties, period. And how many years have I been talking about this, Heather? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, we have not been built. So just to go back, the government, after the crash, our benevolent dictators in Washington decided that they were going to fix the problem. And by fixing the problem, they exacerbated the problem. So when they put the screws to the, um, to the appraisers and to the banks all at the same time, what happened is builders couldn't build because they couldn't get appraisals because the banks had dumped all their properties. So the government forced the banks to dump these properties off their balance sheets. And that sunk the property values. Property values were so low that the builders couldn't build. In addition to that, they couldn't get a whole lot of money from the banks anyway. And this went on yeah. for years. We didn't hit bottom until 2012 and then start climbing out, which is pretty much when people started to build. And well, the population growth didn't slow down. So we have all of these years since then, we've not in one year since then, have we built enough to keep pace with the population growth of one year, right? No year That's actually so matched the population growth. Yeah. Numbers, the, the equilibrium. So we have underbuilt properties for this whole time. And now we're trying to catch up with COVID. So COVID hits, disrupts the supply chain right when the builders would normally ramp up. Builders can't ramp up because there's not enough supply, which cuts the supply of houses. So there are some things that feel very, very similar, but there's also some things that are wildly different than last time. We, we have a supply-demand problem that's the opposite of the supply-demand problem we had in 2008, right? 2007, 2008. So this is very interesting, which is why I said, oh, I think last week we were talking to Heather. We literally don't know. I mean, nobody knows. Yeah. Okay? Nobody. <laughs> nobody knows. We did, if we did, we'd be really wealthy people. Yeah. Like I, mean, everybody, I mean, everybody's speculating about what's happening. And the crazy thing is there's people speculating from both sides of this. One of them is going to be right. I just don't know who yet. So if you, if you start to take a look at all of this stuff, it's just interesting, interesting scope. One of the other things that's happening right now, Heather, we, I just had a presentation from somebody from the Fed and they were talking about something that I think everybody knows. I mean, in, in, intuitively, you know that this is happening, but you put some, some numbers on it, it starts to really take some life and you start to understand what's going on. But one of the things that was happening back in the day is they were just building in these areas where there was appreciation and there really wasn't any reason for the appreciation other than the people were, the investors were buying. Well, that's not what's happening right now. What's happening right now is there's a mass 
migration to certain from certain states to certain states. Those states that are receiving on the receiving end of this, they're being overrun by all of these people who are coming. For instance, I mean, I love y'all in California. I love the state of California. I love how beautiful it is out there. It is beautiful. But man, something's wrong out there. I could, we could do a series of podcasts on what I believe is wrong out there, but we will spare you from that. Just know that net 353,000 people left the state of California. Yeah, and what time frame? I never asked you what time frame is it? Yeah, this is in 2021. Oh, so the year. Okay. Yep, the year. Now, I know somebody will probably make a comment about, <laughs> well, the state of California has, you know, tens of millions of people. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Okay. I mean, LA has, I don't know, what, 20 million people or whatever. I understand it's not a big number, but it is the first time in the history of the state of California that they didn't have a net positive number. Typically, more people move into the state of California than move out. Not surprisingly, the state of New York had the same problem. 333,000 people left. And these, the crazy thing is that there's a couple of states where they've moved. Now, they're not the only states that had negative. There were a bunch more, but they're the biggest. And then there's two on the receiving end. And I bet if I could take a poll right now live, people would be able to name at least one of the two of these states. Yeah. So the state of Texas received almost 200,000 of those. And the state of Florida received 260,000 of those. So some other mentionable states are the ones right along the East Coast going up to um, all the way to Virginia. So Georgia, South Carolina, and Virginia. And then over on the West Coast, Idaho, Boise's just blowing up. I mean, it's insane what's going on over there. And then Vegas and then Phoenix, right? People are moving out of California into the states over there and plus Texas. And then people in New York are moving south. And, you know, that's for a bunch of different reasons. But the difference between 2008 and today is there actually is a reason that those states are seeing such crazy spikes in prices. It's because there's not enough houses for the tons of people that are moving there. So for what it's worth, that at least is um, uniquely different than it was in 2008. A couple of other things in 2008 that were happening especially for investors that investors should pay attention to. Everybody in the planet, when real estate starts to go really, really well, Heather, everybody yeah. gets into the real estate game. Literally everybody. People who had, you know, two years ago had never seen a piece of real estate except for the one they lived in are real estate investors. And not only are they real estate investors, but they have an info product on it and a coaching program. On yeah. It. We'll teach you how to do what we've just done in the last six months. Yeah. We just learned how. This is so exciting. <laughs> We're going to teach you. Here's the more cool thing. We're going to use all of the stuff that we just bought from these other people. We're going to just repurpose it and we're going to use it as our own. That way we really don't even have to come up with it since we probably couldn't because we don't know what we're doing. Okay. So in 2006 and seven, when you were creating all of these property pro formas and they were all Mm -hmm. positive cash flow, we already talked about all of the, um, not so intelligent people who were following the other not so intelligent people who were telling them to buy all these other properties 
so speculatively uh, with negative cash flow. The other thing that happened is that the pro formas had a decrease in reliability. Is that huh. a PC way to say people were lying on the pro formas people? <laughs> they were less true. <laughs> people were lying on the pro formas. Let's just state it the way that it was. That people were lying on the pro formas. There, and there's several different ways that that happens, right? One of the ways back then, because there was so much new construction, is that they would put lot taxes when you're buying a house. Now, I don't know if you've ever huh. built a house before, but the taxes on a lot are substantially less than they are on a house. And so yes, when you do a pro forma with lot taxes instead of house oh. taxes, the pro forma looks really, really good. Went much better yeah. than it will the very next year Yeah, when you get your tax bill and they've done your taxes on a house instead of a lot. So, and that was just one of the many things. Just pro formas went to crap. And the reason was because everybody and their dog had just started doing this. And so they were and they doing it. know what they were doing. Now, wow. Two days ago, Heather, I didn't tell Heather about this before the show, but two days ago, I was looking at a pro forma on an apartment complex. It was a value add, right? So they're showing you what the numbers are now. And they're showing you what the numbers could be when you do the renovations. And they tell you, you know, here's a rough estimate of what the renovations are, which is always crap. Even it's always crap. Their number's always wrong. But usually the rents are pretty decent and the expenses are pretty decent. <laughs> but it seemed, this oh, may no. seem like a really small thing, but the property was a six and a half percent cap rate current as it is. And well, when they refigured the numbers, they refigured the cap rate using the purchase price. Well, I get that the rents are going to go up, but don't I have capital expenditures to make them go up? And why wouldn't we yeah. include the capital expenditures in the in cap, cap rate configuration? Because I have to spend the money. Exactly. So yeah, I may be buying the property for call it 1.5 million, but if I'm putting a half a million into the property, I have to figure the cap rate on 2 million. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was figured on one and a half or whatever the number was. I don't even remember what the number was. And I, I called the agent and I'm like, look, yeah. you realize that the cap rate really sucks. They're like, no, man, the cap rate is going to be like eight and a quarter. That, that, and I agree that that's a viable deal. That's fine. Because, yeah. you know, the rates are good. Rental rates are going to continue to climb. So th that works great. Yep. Problem is, is that it wasn't. It was sub seven. And I was going to have to do all the work to get it there. Yeah. And the Thanks. reason was because of one stupid little calculation from someone who, who barely got into the business and doesn't even understand how to, to run the numbers. I had to explain it to him several different times to get him to understand that, oh, yeah. You figure the cap rate after your expenses. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, that's crazy. When you have this newbies, is happening newbies all the time everywhere, now. <laughs> all the time now. And here's the craziest thing: those guys will probably not change their pro forma, and they will probably sell it. Someone will probably buy that, and they'll wonder for years what happened. Why the hell they can't get an eight and a quarter cap rate to work? That's Until, nuts. you know, five, six years down the road when the rents have raised enough that they can get eight and a quarter and they're like, oh, oh, 
wait, we finally did it. They didn't do anything. Uh, time did it for them. Right. Wow. So that happened back then. That's happening now. And it's happening now to a degree that is very similar to it was, what it was in 2007, almost identical because there are so many people jumping into this game now because it's a fun game to play. It's like they pop up out of nowhere. Yep. Playing the <laughs> I mean, experts. Something else that happened back then, which is happening right now, and we go back to these people bidding on properties, the rehabbers and the wholesalers, literally anyone can do that because you know three months, four months down the road, the prices have gone up so much that what you paid, even if you ran your numbers wrong, you're right. Hmm. But eventually all of these things start to create problems for ignorant investors. Now, yeah. I just said in the last podcast, Heather just said in the last podcast, we're going to continue to buy all the way through this. Nobody knows when things are going to start to break. But I can tell you this, if you start to, if you buy, keep buying on good fundamentals, these problems won't, they're not going to affect you like they're going to affect everyone else. The people who can't read a pro forma and see that the cap rate is figured completely wrong or that they just left the taxes off altogether mm -hmm. or something like that. I get stuff like this all the time, offering memorandums that look super professional and there's no property taxes on there. Yeah. Something simple, routine like that, right? Yep. And I that get happens. all the time missing, like missing owner paid utilities on multifamily deals like that. They're like, oh yeah, that's true. You do have to pay like 30 yeah, that's no big deal. a year. It's no big deal. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's no big deal. So exactly. all of these things were happening in 2007. I'm not saying that 2008 is 2022. That's not, not what I'm saying. Uh, because the market is, is not the same as it was back then. But what I'm saying is that we have, we have reached the crazy phase of real estate where people need to pay closer attention to what's going on. Yeah. You need to pay attention to your loans. Yeah, I mean, here's another thing. Here's another thing. When I first started buying... Um, commercial properties, uh, banks would give us non-recourse loans. Interest rates were pretty good. And they would lock these loan rates for 10 years on commercial properties. <laughs> wow. Then they started to come down to seven. You can't get non-recourse. So what's changed from then till today, and the banks know, the banks can feel what's coming, right? So mm -hmm. the banks are starting to hedge. You're not going to see this as much in, in the ordinary residential market, as you see in the commercial market. In the commercial market, the local banks, the regional banks, and the large banks that make commercial loans, they've started to pull back. It's hard to get anything more than a 3-1 or a 5-1 arm. They've pulled back the amortization rates back to 20 years. They're doing all this stuff to make sure that they're safe in this crazy market as it goes up. And I guarantee you, when you actually read those loan documents, there's a bunch of things in there that protect the bank. Well, there's always a bunch of things to protect the bank, but there's more now than there were. And that's part of the reason why they're not giving non-recourse loans. I mean, 2014, I get a non-recourse loan. It didn't make it. The banks were like, yeah, you can't even, the replacement cost on that thing is, and you're buying it for 50% uh -huh. of replacement cost. Yeah, well, no big deal. Plus, there weren't as many buyers as there are now. So yeah. Things are changing and they're changing rapidly. And I think you're also seeing on, I was just talking to a builder friend of mine, we're also seeing the, this renaissance of 100% financing where he said he, it was 
last year he had still had to pay like 3% for, you know, FHA buyers. And now the government Mm -hmm. has come out and is helping them with the 3%. So people are now getting basically a hundred percent financing and he doesn't have to pay the three points anymore. So he's making more money. Wow. Selling more properties to people. And you're going to see that that piece of things probably is going to continue to loosen up while they tighten the screws on the investors. That's it's extraordinary watching the patterns and the parallels. Yet you're right. There's a lot of things that aren't parallel, but the lessons in it. I mean, I don't know if we've talked about this yet, that the loan number changed from 10 to four, that yep. you get 10 loans, 10 mortgages per borrower. And it was overnight changed to four. And it took, man, it was years before it was back up to 10. I can't I remember, remember which year, but it, it was years. I think it was 2017 or somewhere around there. Because and I, it was, <laughs> Heather, it was also years before someone outside of Fannie Mae did it, like yeah. that had a portfolio product that went above. Oh, yeah. Loans. And yeah. I think the first portfolio product was six loans. You're right. And then it, it started to, to, it started to go up from there, but those were portfolio loans and they were far more expensive than, than Fannie Mae. Yeah. So if, if you're on, have your mortgages now, if you have a spouse on the mortgage, you could do a refinance and just have it in one of the spouse's names. And then that allows you to have 10 mortgages per borrower potential of 20 mortgages. So stuff like that, being ready for a spouse, being able to qualify for financing, stuff like that to get your ducks in a row so that if financing guidelines change, that you have the ability to get loans. I mean, we don't know what the guidelines will be. We just know what happened in 2008. One of the other things too, I I think I hinted on this before, but I wanna just like bring it back up one more time. And that's home affordability. So back in 2007, home ownership affordability was, so the Fed has a, like this monitor, this index they use. And the index at 100 is basically, that's even, that's normal. Anything below that is unaffordable. Anything above that is more affordable. Well, in 2007, the index was sub 80. It was sitting around like it got as low as 70 and went up to about a 75. So it was 25% under, which means it was homes were very expensive. In other words, very few people could afford these homes. And that's when everybody was saying that the homes values were going to continue to go up, which made no sense because they're the majority of the population could not afford them anymore. And then right after that, 2000, Eight, when everything crashed, they jumped up to 90. They were still really not that affordable. Yeah. Everybody thinks this happened overnight, but it didn't. The affordability actually didn't start to really hit stasis until about 2010, 2011. And then it was in 2012 when they became very, very affordable. Yeah. And they remained so pretty much all the way until you guessed it, 2021. Yeah. And then it precipitously drops. So that's affordability index goes down to just almost 90 in a year. Now that happened because of a bunch of things, right? We had COVID and we had the supply chains and we are already knows we didn't build enough homes. We've already been over all of that stuff, but home affordability is going to be an issue, right? Mm -hmm. Because not only are the prices going up, but you're also going to see this year, interest rates are going to go up and that's going to have a negative impact on probably on sales. And it's going to have a negative impact on, on house prices. But there's a school of thought that says it's not because people need housing so much. And there's such a pent up demand for them 
that the prices are going to continue to go up. And if they do, affordability is going to become an issue. And that is going to parallel very closely to what happened in 2007 and 2008, where the houses just became so unaffordable um, that something had to change. Something had to change. It's crazy though, because the people who are moving from California, New York, right, where real estate is top dollar, are able to bring that top dollar into all these other markets, right? So so it's going to make it take longer for that to even recover. And so you'd think about what are the affordable markets then? You know, what are the affordable markets? You can actually look those up too, because there's reports on these. Those affordable markets, in my opinion, those are the marketplaces where you would want to be buying, where this index shows positive, where they're, they're actually affordable. And there's plenty of markets right now that are still like that. I mean, I could re- I could start to read them off, but you guys can go look this up. They're Midwest. They're not the sexy markets. Every one of the sexy markets you think about, they're yep. all in the uh, unaffordable, yep. every single one of them. And you go to those markets, they're not quite as sexy, but they still have positive population growth. Everything's really going well for them, just not as sexy. Boy, they're sexy on paper though. Yeah, right. They're sexy on paper. <laughs> Move past it with the sexy on paper. That's yeah. all. I mean, the top three, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Birmingham. I don't think any of those are terribly sexy. I mean, I grew up in Kansas City, not sexy. It's hot as what in the summer and it's cold as you know what in the winter. It's just not, I mean, love you, Kansas City. Love you, Chiefs, but you know, not sexy. Sorry, (laughs) but affordable and the rents are high. So I guess what we're trying to say, folks, is there's a lot of parallels. Home prices have been going up for a long, long time. Get your crap together, dial in your fundamentals, and then let's see where this thing goes. And I, like I said last week, Heather, I mean, good grief. If we, if the thing goes down, bring let's, it, let's go. <laughs> if it goes sideways, let's go. If it goes up, it doesn't make any difference. And I think my takeaway too, from what you said is that it's not going to change overnight. It's not all of a sudden going to mean houses are affordable. So people that are waiting for that, keep in mind that you had to wait for four years for it to happen before. So if you're waiting for the deals and the market starts to drop, that is not, that is not the lowest. So if you're stopping and in an inflationary market and your cash is now worth less and less money. So if anything, I feel encouraged to keep going, keep investing as fast as I can. So very Yeah. Clear. So, I mean, hopefully that was helpful. There's a lot of parallels. There's also a lot of things that are completely different this time. Yeah. Just completely Thank different. Thank heavens. Because if it was all the same, that was, that hurt a lot of people. So I'm kind of glad that it's not going to be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, hopefully what that told you is that it's time to go take action. And I mean, if you, if you've, if you've got a house that you've been sitting on, and you live in the state of California, and it might be a good time to unload that bad boy. I'm not yeah. telling you what to do, but I'd take a look at the I'd take a look at the stats out there. <laughs> You've got multiple properties in California or New York. You know, I mean, I'd look at that. I don't know. I well, think there's a reason why all the people are moving. I'm just going to state it. I think there's a yeah. reason. And if you if you take a look at the two most red like down states, right, the ones that have lost the most, you look at the two that have gained the most. There is a dichotomy there that I don't think should be overlooked. That's all I'm saying. You can read into that, whatever you want. I'll put in a positive. We're working on the investor portal. I mentioned it so many times now. It's kind of silly. 
but working on having accurate market values updated quarterly by real people with eyeballs and digits on their hands that can actually enter in the value of property so that it's more reliable and a way for you to watch and be ready. And when the market's shifting and changing that you're ready with it. So excited about that. As always, everybody this week, get out there and make something happen till next time. Absolutely. Have a good week. This has been the get real podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.